Big Ten Plus Four is a member of Odd Pods Media and ASAP All Sports All Plays Network. Hey there, and welcome into Big Ten Plus for College Sports with a Midwest perspective, blue collar and blue blood. I'm Dalton Shetler alongside Sam Sprunger, back for another week. And uh, I, I almost uh, kind of feel like, and we were just chatting before we, we ended up uh, hitting the record button, but uh, I feel like we're both kind of wearing that the entire season has started to <laughs> unfold and we're getting down to the, the final moments here. But yeah. believe it or not, and I feel like it's cliche, Sam, that every year that you say, wow, didn't this go fast? But this year really seemed to zoom mm-hmm. by quicker than others. Well, and and I've got a little bit of an explanation of that that makes complete sense if you'd like that. Right. I'd like me to I would. Uh, 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 elaborate. Uh, it was actually a com- yeah a conversation that I had about like the time frame between uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas, and it was with our friend Frank Weller. You know Frank uh, from mm-hmm. from Butler. Uh, he he said, Sam, I, I I completely believe this. It's because when you're younger, five minutes is so much more percentage of your life that as you get older, five minutes doesn't seem like that long because you've experienced five minutes more. He said so two weeks when you're 30 is much different than when you're five because two weeks seems like so long because when you're five, it has been, but when you're older, it's less. So I have, I, I totally get it because it seems like every night we've got games over and just rolling through. And, but yet it seems like we just started and I, I think that's why. Interesting. Okay. At least there's a a theory to go with. I just figured it's it's because of adult responsibilities and they just like, (laughs) I think that maybe is it because you have so many more things in your life to think about that. You don't think about Christmas five, you know, two weeks from now you're thinking of, wow, I need to get groceries, gas, uh, make sure the kids are at their Christmas program, but but, but you lose two weeks. And and then it's dang it. I still got a Christmas shop too. Yeah. Are, the, are those reindeer who's I hear? I've got to do my shopping. <laughs> oh, man. But, yeah, we're, we're excited to hear because we, we are in the final week of Big Ten women's yeah. basketball, Big Ten men's basketball in the final two weeks. We're going to be kind of taking a look at those as both of those uh, races for Big Ten titles wind down. Matter of fact, we have a conclusion in the women's side. Yeah. yeah. And we'll talk about that. But last night we got a couple of games that we could break down as well. Well, why don't we start on the women's side then? Because it goes hand in hand with exactly what we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Iowa went to College Park, number six, sort of. Iowa. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Uh, <laughs> number six, Iowa uh, went to number seven, Maryland. And this was the fourth time that these two teams have met in the top 10. Now, keep in mind, Maryland just joined the conference nine years ago, uh, but they've met four times in the top 10. And this was an unbelievable shellacking I I sat there and watched the game and I I turned away at halftime and I was like well surely there's going to be a second half run because the context here folks too is that if Iowa wins that game Iowa then is in a position to maybe win the Big Ten championship because this Saturday Sunday Saturday or Sunday I believe it's Saturday Saturday um, college game day, uh, the women's side is going to go to Iowa City because Iowa is hosting number two Indiana, and it was going to set up kind of a a winner take all scenario in the sense that Indiana's already got this clinched at least a share, but Iowa could play themselves into a, a share of the Big Ten championship as well. I misspoke. It is Sunday. So. It is Sunday. Thank Sunday you. Sunday at two on ESPN. Sunday at two. Um, but nonetheless, I this was an unbelievable beatdown from the jump and Maryland gets the win against one of the best teams, Iowa 96 to 68 in something that I'm still having a hard time comprehending. I saw, I, I was watching it the in and out and, and, you know, keeping track of it in and out and saw that it was a pretty, you know, wide margin and stuff, you know, for most of the game. But at the same point, 
when I saw the final score, because I'd gotten to doing something and saw the final score, I said, that has to be wrong. Like mm -hmm. I opened up the, the notification and looked at him like, wow, I didn't, I've been beating the Maryland drum sort of saying, you know, Hey, they're not completely devoid of being competitive with the top two teams in the conference, but I just didn't see a 96 to 68 beating of Iowa coming. Mm -hmm. just, and, and it's, it's wow. And so like, let's take a little bit of a deeper look at it for mm -hmm. Maryland. Um, if, if you haven't been following all year, Diamond Miller is their star. Diamond Miller averages 20 points a game. She's one of the best players in the country. She's a 6'3 forward who can do it all. She handles the rock. She gets to the rim. I mean, she just does it all. In this game, where Maryland wins by nearly 30 against Iowa, she only took 10 shots. Maryland was able to put up 96 points despite just getting 16 from Diamond. And why is that? The other players really stepped up. And we haven't seen them. We've known that they've had this kind of potential, but we haven't seen them all take a step quite like this. Yeah, and This really changes Maryland's trajectory moving into the next couple of weeks with the conference tournament and March Madness. But uh, Shy Sellers had 17 points, 10 boards, 7 assists. Uh, Lavender Briggs off the bench had 19 points. Brene Alexander off the bench had 24 points going six bench. of nine from three point range. You add all that together and that's, that's a, a lethal recipe and that's what we saw. And, and by the way, for Iowa, I mean, Maryland, what they did defensively and, and everybody knows that they're very long and so they're able to take away some things on the interior. Monica Sinano who is one of the best players in the Big Ten Conference. She's going to be an all-first-team member. She only had five shots that she put up last night and only scored four points. That's how good Maryland was. And they went a little bit with a, a bit of a box-and-one. Megan McEwen did a great job on the Big Ten Network breaking down uh, what was taking place in the game. But they went box-and-one where they focused on Caitlin Clark with the one. And with that length kind of just being the rest of the box, it just disrupted the flow for Iowa. They never got settled. They never they never got to the rim. They shot so many three-pointers. Let me pull up the tally here. 38 threes. They put up 38 threes. <laughs> now, granted, I've, I've experienced that at College Park earlier this year, a month and a half ago. Um, I was there when Michigan State played them, and Michigan State shot 44 threes against Maryland in that game, which was a new Big Ten women's basketball record. So that's like the approach teams take against Maryland because they're so long and so take up words, so much space. They've got to rely space. on it. They, yes. uh, like the, and we've talked about this, and I'm sorry to cut you off on that, no. but uh, uh, we talked about the three top three teams. IU is the best team. Iowa has the most talent. Maryland has the most most athleticism, and I think we saw the athleticism overtake the or the uh, the talent yesterday with that game. Now, I don't think that's a thirty point game every time they play. Mm -mm. That's not gonna. So we kind of they kind of caught the you know the lightning in a bottle for last night. You know, it, it, it's a, a shocking number to see. You know, score to see. But you kind of take into consideration, okay, Maryland was doing everything right, and Iowa wasn't quite doing what they should be, which ballooned and, and conflated that, that total. Maryland might have still won if you bring the levels to more close, but it becomes a heck of a lot more competitive. And I, I'm just, I'm really taken aback at the fact that Iowa got beat by that much. Yes, same. And that's Not what that makes they it. they lost, even. Yeah, it just kind of makes it hard to comprehend. Again, mm -hmm. because like talking about my experiences, I, I just saw on Saturday, I saw this Maryland team play in East Lansing. I was there for that game. That was a five-point game between Maryland and Michigan State. Yeah. And, and Michigan State had a shot late to tie and just didn't hit it. But like I just saw that. I saw Maryland score 66 in that game. And then they turn around against the number six team in the country, pour up 96 points, and only let one of the best offenses in the country get to 68. I mean, that it was it was a phenomenal, dominating effort from the Terps. Now, here's a question for you. Is it the environment that makes Maryland so deadly at home? Because the men are sort of the same way. They go on the road, and they're not nearly as effective as they are at home. Partially. 
partially. I, I do think that that builds into it some. I, I do think College Park is becoming one of the tougher places to play in the Big Ten, um, men's and women's. And I, I do think there's some truth to the logic you're you're spilling out even for another team and another game we wanted to get to before we, we end up breaking. Uh, on the men's side, Indiana loses at Michigan State last night. I believe the final was 80 to 65. But Indiana, when that team steps out of Bloomington, the the numbers, the averages drastically drop. IU is almost unbeatable at Assembly Hall. But once they hit the road, there's there's some more vulnerability with the Hoosiers. Maybe their candy striped pants is is kind of telling of what they are. They're like a you know they're just all over the place, so they're just a circus show. <laughs> Again, folks, this is the Purdue fan <laughs> Sam that uh, I knew as soon as the delivery was coming that some some kind of retort was going to hit the Hoosiers there. Um, but no, it, it's. Um, it's fascinating to me because obviously when we start getting here in the next couple of weeks where it's, it's tournament time, like there's no Indi- home, there's no home. Yeah. And in, in Indiana, Indi- don't get me wrong. Indiana's a really, really good yep. team, but they're going to have to figure out how to bring that consistent play out of Bloomington with them, wherever they're playing. You, you that, know what I mean? That's where that, yeah. And that's what I was getting at with the, the Maryland women. You yep. saw them in East Lansing. And they struggled, and this is no offense to Michigan State, but the, a lower half basketball team in the Big Ten. They struggled with them, but that brought Iowa into home, who's number six in the country, and beat the living tar out of them. Like and, it, it, it's it's almost manic depressive. Like they're up one, down next, up down. It's all over the place. Which, which it, to a certain default, is just Big Ten basketball in general. Sure, like, I get that too, to a point. Um, because I, I think Nebraska beat Maryland earlier in the year. Like La- Nebraska beat Maryland last week. Is that right? Yes. Fred Hoiberg's son stole the ball and laid it in at the end to see. We got our wires crossed. I'm sorry. I was talking Are you women's talking women? for a moment. Oh, okay. I was still on the women's side. <laughs> see, that's what you get for transferring over to the men's for a minute. I I invited this door. Yes, you no, did, Mr. Nebraska. Nebraska women's had beat Maryland women's okay. earlier in the year. And they're on the bubble. Yes. Nebraska. So, I mean, yes. so it's, it's really one of those that it's – that's why it brought up the thought Nebraska losing to or beating Maryland in the men's side. And then, you know, the, the struggles of Maryland at East Lansing, but, and Maryland men thumped Purdue in college park. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like the, they're almost, it's almost indicative that if you go to college park, it's going to be a fight. You're going to, you want to host Maryland right now. Yep. No, you're, you're, you're absolutely both sides right. of the ball too. Well, and that brings up with Nebraska. We're going to have a guest here in a little bit, which I've done a, a terrible job at promoting. So let's throw that in here. Um, Mike DeCourcy from everywhere is going to join us soon. The Sporting News, Big Ten Network, Fox Sports, everywhere. Uh, yeah. He's going to join us soon. And and we're going to talk some bracketology with him to get a little bit of an understanding beforehand. But I'd, I'd love to chat with him a little bit about uh, this Northwestern resurgence and, and Chris Collins. But on the Nebraska side, I want to ask him about Casey Tomanaga. I mean, this has been an unbelievable ride in the month of February. And I feel like enough people aren't talking yet about Tominaga and how dang good he's been filling it up this the past couple weeks. He's in Omaha or he's in Lincoln. Come on. If he was in New York City, like you know, that people know him. Yeah, that's uh <laughs> Well, many of the Big Ten media markets can could be chalked up like uh, <laughs> he'd probably be a lot well more well known if he was at Northwestern, even because it's the Chicago market. Yeah, but That's not I damning I, Lincoln. It's just he chose. We need to do something to pump him up a little bit, maybe. That's what I'm saying. So I'd love to hear what DeCourcy has to say about Tominaga yes. here in a little yeah. bit because I I think it's been a joy to to watch and, and kind of take in but okay so that's kind of what's happened in this last week we got mike DeCourcy coming up here shortly that'll be in the second half um we're going to talk men's basketball with him bracketology with him but for now we're going to take a quick time out when we come back with the second quarter we're going to get you some women's basketball bracketology all right and we're going to put a sticker mule ad in there too oh okay 
<laughs> there it is. So, Tony, uh, I just bought some flyers to do, you know, like a, a, a grassroots type of advertising for Big Ten Plus Four. And uh, you, you, oh, yeah, you can't go wrong with that type of promotion either. Yeah, correct. And I, I got I got a great deal on flyers at Sticker Mule. Yeah, I remember you saying that all of our stickers, all of our Klingons, everything like that, that comes from Sticker Mule. Yeah, now our flyers, too. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. So sticker mule is supposed to be the easiest way you can buy custom stickers, decals, labels, and other printing items all online, right? Yeah. Order in 60 seconds and they'll turn your designs and illustrations into custom stickers, magnets, buttons, labels, and packaging in just days. They offer free online proofs, free worldwide shipping, and super fast turnaround. If you click on the link in the show notes, Herman is going to give you $10 off any purchase of at least $10. And you can start designing an order in minutes with Sticker Mule. Yeah, and thank you, Sticker Mule. Double whistle there, mister. <laughs> hey, I, like I wanted it. to I wanted to say something. Tony's been out. He's 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 adjusting a work schedule now. He is going to be in studio on or in studio on the show on Friday. <laughs> excuse me, on Friday. Uh, but that's why we haven't seen Tony lately. We're trying to work out his schedule to where uh, hopefully he'll still be able to to remain with us here at Big Ten Plus Four, uh, but right now we're we're kind of in flux and he's making appearances when he can. Uh, but it's one of those that uh, hope hopefully it works out to where he stays and can stay with us. But uh, that's kind of what's going on with Tony. Yeah, it's probably good to address that. I've just been like, yeah, you know, show by show, you know, he's either in, I'm either in. We <laughs> Also, also, since we're just making announcements, we might as well yeah. just keep it going. Uh, I, I have announced that we are going to be changing the show's name at the end of the men's tournament. I'm not a, an, uh, announcing any sort of uh, logos or, or names or anything at this point but we are going to be changing from Big Ten Plus 4 to a different name because of the impending expansion from 14 teams. So, Yeah, you know, let's... Uh, we, we had a brainstorm Big session. Big Ten Plus 6 is not in the conversation. I was going to say, we, we had some brainstorm sessions to come up with the first name, and uh, as soon as we did, you, UCLA and USC decided they are going to join the Big Ten. So whatever yeah. we do... Uh, it, it should probably be fluid and avoid like number references. You know to what? The, you know we're what? learning Don't, a lesson. I I have addressed that the first time I announced it too, because <laughs> the new name will adjust to any other expansion of the conference. So we're good. Good. As that long way, as as long as they keep the name Big Ten. <laughs> I was gonna say, well, when the Big Ten has thirty teams, um, we we just need to make sure we're prepared for that. You're on That's, Big Ten plus twenty. <laughs> That's it seems to be the way we're uh, inevitably heading. Um, but OK, let's uh, with the second quarter. And and I know you had this prepared, so I want to throw this up here. Uh, we're taking a look at women's basketball bracketology. This is courtesy of ESPN uh, in the in, in the work over there. Uh, but we wanted Charlie Cream. Thank you. Uh, we wanted to take a look at some of the Big Ten members and where they kind of stand as of this moment. So we were talking just a minute ago about Iowa and Maryland. Iowa right now sits as a two seed. Maryland also as a two seed currently um, in, in regions. Um, let's see. Maryland's would be in College Park. Iowa would be at Iowa City because there's the on-campus the games there in the... Right. Yeah, they, and they the, host their pod, don't they? Like the yes. host hosts their pod. Yeah. Yes. So okay. Iowa and Maryland would be looking at some home games. Meanwhile, Indiana is deserving of a one seed. They would uh have the one seed uh so far here. So you're already looking at three big ten members that are in the the either a one or a two seed. Michigan kind of comes next. They're a four seed. They would be in the Stanford region. Um, but they would get to host if they're a four seed. And so yeah. that's uh, kind of where they want to stick around. Ohio State right now is a six seed. Ohio State would be in Virginia Tech's pod. They'd have to, to head to Blacksburg as of now. Uh, still pointing out the rest of the Big Ten ones. Illinois, a nine seed. Uh, they'd be taking on Baylor up there in the top right of that bracket, which is Stanford's pod. And then Purdue finally uh, would be a 10 seed. And they would be in the Baton Rouge pod with LSU. Uh, meanwhile, some bubble teams. Nebraska right now sits as the next four out. Um, They've so got the, some work to do. The Huskers have some work to do. They're right there. But on there the is bubble, but there is a tournament to that they, if they get a couple of wins, that might be enough. 
Yes, yes. And I'll pull up their schedule here for the, the rest of the, the regular season as well. It'll be only one or two more games, right? I know. It's just so crazy to me that that's where we are, but this, well, this year's also, writing down. I also wanted to point out while we're looking at this, they've changed from their customary four regions into only two regions where they're playing. Uh, in this scenario, UConn in the stores, uh, half of the Washington bracket, and then IU on the Bloomington side, they, both of those regions feed into Washington, uh, Seattle, Washington, and then the other two feed into Greenville, South Carolina, where they're going to play both of those regions out there. That's a that's a good point to make as well. Um, I, I did just pull up the Nebraska schedule, so they played tonight, and tonight is one uh, that really could help booster the the huskers resume because tonight they're at illinois yeah. at seven o'clock illinois as we mentioned already a, a tournament team as of now um but seven i have eight o'clock are you looking at seven central let me double check hang on i got scared because an advertisement started to play <laughs> and i jumped away from the screen no you're right thank you for the correction eight o'clock uh -huh. tonight um and and there's some other pretty big ones Purdue that's still trying to stay on the right side of the bubble. They get they're hosting Penn State tonight. Now, for some of the folks that haven't quite been following all year, Penn State has struggled some this year. They're four and twelve this season, but one of the best transition teams you're gonna find. They score yeah. quick, lightning quick. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. That one's at seven o'clock in West Lafayette. Uh, Minnesota's at Michigan State. Michigan State looking for the win there in the only season meeting uh, for the regular season between Minnesota and Michigan State. But the Spartans are trying to get away from that Wednesday uh, to, to start the Big Ten tournament. Yeah, one, day, in one day is huge. One day, uh, make, one day by is huge. Makes a big difference. And a lot of teams, I mean, there's a lot kind of going on there towards the bottom of that conference. But if Michigan State can beat Minnesota, they're looking really good to, to start their journey on Thursday instead of Wednesday. So that's a big game for Michigan State. And to your point again, 8 o'clock, Nebraska at Illinois. Illinois had a resurgence of a year. They hadn't been ranked in more than two decades. And then Shauna Green in her first year has Illinois rolling. And the Illini have played great. But much to the point we're making, if Nebraska wins that one, that really helps Nebraska's chances for, for a March run. And let's think about this too, Dalton. Nebraska's on the on the next four, but they're on the bubble. I, we, uh, I talked about that is, is the bubble has expanded into this levels, whereas when I was growing up, it was just teams on the bubble, you know, or whatever. But mm -hmm. these are the different levels of the bubble. They're on the bubble at 14 and 13 overall. Yep. That means they, A, win quality games, and B, they play a really difficult schedule at points. Uh, maybe there's some shortcomings that they have, but they can they they're on the next four out. They're only five teams out of the tournament at 14 and 13 overall. Well, I was gonna say, uh, it, it's kind of like the same deal that's going on with the men's side, where the conference is deemed so difficult top to bottom and so deep. Yeah that they're they're benefiting from it and that's what the metrics are are pumping out i mean on the women's side uh the big 10 is the best conference in college basketball i, I think you'd have a hard time making the argument against that we're on the men's side they might be taking a, a second seat to um the big 12 at least for the last two years but still one of the best and that's why you're going to see such a high volume of teams make it in like on the men's side uh Wisconsin's kind of on that bubble. I mean, they're starting to burst that bubble a little bit, but they're 15 and 11. So it's much to your point mm -hmm. how it's it's kind of changed in, in well, some of these teams. The, that's crazy too, is you know, Wisconsin, who's on the bubble, and we'll talk about we'll look at the at that. They're they're on the first four out. Like they're literally the last team out or the first mm -hmm. team out. And and we just talked about that, but that tells you they're so far down. They're they're not going to get into that top four like some of those teams could if you look at the at those standings. So that's yeah, it, it, Nebraska for them to be on the bubble the way they are at at that record and at that record in conference too. They're six and ten right now. Mm -hmm. Even if they win both their games, they're eight and ten. They're still two games below. That's an impressive conference if you've got your a team that's on the bubble at that record in the conference. Oh, and I, I should have finished my sentence too earlier. Uh, so Did Nebraska's, I cut you off? 
No, I got okay, distracted. Shiny penny. Um, yes. Nebraska at Illinois tonight, but then they close out the year with Northwestern. And Northwestern is, I believe, in last place in, in Big Ten they're, women's basketball. They're 2 14 over or in conference and uh, 9 and 18 overall. Which is last because Minnesota is 3 and 13 right Correct. next to them. Yes. I know they were kind of duking it out down there for a minute. So that's why I wanted to make sure I, I didn't, don't want uh, it. You want it. You speak. Yeah. No, you take it. <laughs> um, no, you take it. But it's it's been a bit of a struggling year for for the Cats. But my my point being, Nebraska, if they pick up a win tonight at Illinois, they might be able to close out the year with with two wins and really bump them up to what would then be eight and ten in uh in their conference season. And again, given how tough the league is and how much respect it has in women's basketball this year, uh, there's a good chance that they they could find themselves fighting for a spot. They do some work in Minneapolis in the tournament, and uh, they they might be able to to booster their candidacy for for March Madness. So uh, that's kind of a look at Big Ten women's basketball. I, I see you have some thoughts kind of pondering on your face there, Sam. Did you have anything else to, to toss in? I'm interested to see if anybody outside and, and, and outside of those top three that are going to put, I think those top three could easily push for an Elite Eight, maybe even a Final Four if they get Agreed. the right draw and the right, you know, the right matchups in there. Um, they easily all three of them could be playing either in the Elite Eight or or Final Four. What teams of the rest do you think in that in that group that are in the tournament right now? And I can put it back up. Would you say has a good chance at, at actually making a run? Would it be Michigan? It would. It would be Michigan unless um, unless uh, Sheldon gets mm. healthy at Ohio State. Yeah, I okay, I agree. If 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 they get uh her back, I, I think Ohio State's with with its athleticism, what they're able to do uh end line to end line, I, I think they have more athleticism and they can pose a, a different look and a lot of problems in terms of just turning up pressure in March Madness, where Michigan Michigan is a very solid fundamental team. Yeah. And they're not going to do a lot of flashy things to beat you. They're just they're talent uh, they're they're talented, they're solid and like Leah Brown poured in however many points in the last game and it's almost like exclusively it feels like just 18 foot jump shots that just are being buried yeah. right in people's faces. So, I I would say unless uh, Sheldon gets healthy, I would say it's Michigan, but um well, Ohio State might be able to if, they, if they're able to get healthy. All right, yeah. let's pause, hit the halftime break. When we come back, we got some men's basketball bracketology to get to and some storylines. You are listening to Big Ten Plus Four, hosted on Anchor and StreamYard. I'm Richie, a.k.a. Midnight Agent Raw. I'm Devin, a.k.a. Special Delivery Dev. We're the Super Media Bros Podcast. And each week, we give a comedically informative take on movies, music, television, pro wrestling, and much more. Check us out at SuperMediaBrosPodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere else that you can listen to podcasts. Shades on. We're off. Hi, I'm Sam. I'm Richie. I'm Little Matt. And here in the 500 Section Lounge, we are three dads who host a family-friendly weekly podcast. Yep, we laugh, we go on tangents, and we talk to great guests. Tangents? I don't know what you're talking about with that. You know, there are gases leaking. Uh, all right. All right. Okay. Yeah. We have legendary conversations from sports to history and everything in between. So be on the lookout for what we do next. And always be there to grab, grab a listen. listen. All right, short, let's get into whistle, the second half, the third quarter. Yeah, the, the transition <laughs> whistle, as uh, the listeners know. Uh, we are now being joined, as you can see, if you're on the visual medium with us, uh, by the man that is just everywhere. You can't avoid him, whether it's print, <laughs> whether it's TV, wherever it is. Mike DeCorsi from the Sporting News, Big Ten Network, Fox Sports. Thank you so much for taking the time, Mike. We really appreciate it. Yeah, oh, thank thanks, you. Dalton. Happy to join you. Uh, and we're excited to get into some Big Ten bracketology stuff. We want to talk with the, the smartest man we know, so we wanted to work on some of these well, you, things. You uh, guys got to make a call then. It's a small pool. It's a, <laughs> <laughs> But you're winning the pool, Mike. Uh, no. Um, but uh, regardless, we do want to get into some Big Ten men's basketball bracketology. We'd love to also get into some storylines. Sam and I were talking about some things that have really caught our eye here recently. But maybe let's start on the tournament side here, Mike, because this is the time of the year. We're just two weeks away from conference tournaments ramping up, getting into uh, the the 
March Madness. I do want to ask before we start looking at some of the individual references or examples that we have displayed here, and this is your work at Fox Sports that that we have uh, posted up here. Uh, recently, just this past weekend, the NCAA uh, Tournament Selection Committee previewed what the top 16 seeds would be. When you took a look at that and analyzed it, was there anything you noticed from it that maybe the committee is higher prioritizing more so than other things? What it struck me, uh, having gone into the bracket reveal, expecting a high correlation with the predictive metrics. That was what I expected for two reasons. One is that they've designed a metric in the net, the NCAA evaluation tool, that I don't think is performing in the way that it was originally presented. It was presented as something of a hybrid between the predictive metric, which measures performance. Uh, everybody has a different formula. Uh, all of them are way too complicated for me. But basically, it involves uh, what you do on a possession-by-possession possession basis. And ultimately, if you win a game, how many you win by. Whether or not you win is not that important. If you played a really difficult schedule, and you lost 28 one-point games, you could still have a reasonably significant rating in some of the predictive metrics. And, and I, I believe that the net has tracked very closely with some of those metrics. I, as I said, it was not presented that way. Whether it was designed that way, even though it wasn't presented that way, I can't say. But it, was, it, it, it has, in, in terms of performance, it looked like a predictive metric. So for that reason, I expected this bracket reveal to show a high correlation with that. It did not. It didn't. I, I can give you the examples. I, I wrote down uh, on the day of the selection show, I wrote down 1 to 16 on their basis and then what the predictive metrics said as well as what uh, one of the results metrics, the strength of record by ESPN said. And right at the top, uh, Ken Palm and um, and the net both have Alabama at number two, but the uh, the committee had Alabama at number one. Uh, further down, Texas, the predictive metrics had them, net and Ken Palm both had Texas as a number nine. Uh, they had them at five overall. Uh, it, it goes all the way through like that, UCLA, was high in the predictive metrics, five and three, but only eight for them. So mm -hmm. the correlation between the metrics wasn't really there. And I could go over to strength of record and tell you this is the same thing. I mean, UCLA was six for uh, strength of record, but only eight for them. Uh, Tennessee was 14 for strength of record, but nine for them. So over uh, placed relative to that. So uh, it, there's, a, there's this, it's all kind of all over the place in that sense. And so one of the things I think you notice then is if you look at it, they are really moved by teams that did big things. And that starts with Alabama. Uh, Alabama has some huge wins in terms of uh, going out and putting 101 on, on Vanderbilt and 108 on Georgia. So they have these massive power statements as well as some really high-end, high-level victories. Uh, including their victory at Houston uh, on the road, prob probably as good a win as anybody's gotten this year. Uh, I think the, the wins over Purdue and that win at Houston are about as good as a wins as anybody's gotten this year. So I, I think that that's part of it. And then you look at uh, as well, a team like Arizona, which has three, uh, three to four losses that are really difficult to explain. The Washington state home loss, the road loss to Stanford, Oh, does it matter? I mean, and I, that, 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 they can do what they want, but uh, six overall over UCLA, which doesn't have any bad losses at all, but doesn't have the great wins. They, they're, UCLA only has four quad one wins, and they are not the highest level quad one wins. So they went again with, what are you on your best day? That's what they, that's what they lean toward, as far as I can uh, ascertain. And I think. Indiana's placement in that bracket at number 13 overall, the highest four seed, is another example of that. Uh, predictive metrics, you're, you're looking at uh, 18 and 20. 
uh, results metrics, you're looking at 20. Committee says 13. Why? Well, they beat Purdue. Uh, they, they, you know, they, they have a number of good quality wins. So I think that that's, that's, that's what you have to do if you're, a, if you're a team wanting to get in or wanting to be placed high. I got a question. Uh, you, you talked about uh, quality uh, losses, I guess. So uh, Purdue, you're looking at Purdue. I, Alabama lost to Oklahoma on the road by 25 or 28, whatever they ended up. I think it was 24, up. I think. Okay, but but 20 plus. Like they got yes. their doors blown off of them by a subpar or below 500 uh, Big 12 team. Purdue's got four losses, and they're all against teams that have done good things. Rutgers is is playing very well. Northwestern is playing out of their ever-loving mind right now. And then you have, you know, IU and I'm blanking. Maybe they've only, they've lost four, haven't they? Yeah, they have There's, lost four. Uh, Maryland. Maryland. All four of those are good quality losses. Does that mean that Purdue is one? I mean, does that weigh better for them in your mind and the metrics or just your mind? Well, it, it certainly weighs better in my mind. Uh, I don't think it, 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 the metrics are surprising on Purdue uh, for the reasons you know, that you mentioned one, one of the interesting things about Purdue, you, you talked about Alabama, um, that loss to Oklahoma while an embarrassment, frankly, I mean, lose to Alabama, lose to Oklahoma on the road, not great, but they're still, they're, they're, they're a team that just isn't good enough for their league. It's not right. that they're a bad team. They just aren't good enough for their league. If they were in the big 10, they would have a better record. And, and, and the big 10 is the second best league, mm -hmm. but there, there aren't any places to hide in the Big 12, and Oklahoma needs needs those places to get wins. Right. You can't find them. So it's not the worst loss ever, but the margin. the the Because it, it was even worse at many points than that 24. That was 30 plus a couple of times. They, yeah, they, they, that, that margin was over 30. They had to rally to get it to 24. And, and But that's not their only double-digit loss. At one point, prior to the Maryland game, and so the, the prior to the Maryland game, so that was, which I believe was an eight point loss. Uh, they had lost their first three losses were by a combined nine points. And Alabama's three losses were like a, by a combined 42. And so I thought to me, there's no question at that point that Purdue still the number one overall. I still think you can make a very strong case for Purdue as the number one overall. And the case against them is recency and recency shouldn't matter. And it's not supposed to matter. According to the committee right. matters in the polls, but who cares about the polls? Um, it, so I, I, I think that the fact that you would think that that would be accounted for more by the metrics, but it doesn't seem to be uh, Purdue hasn't Purdue has played, has, has certainly blown out its share of teams and, and they, and they haven't lost badly. The, the worst loss was the road loss to Maryland, a building where Maryland has won every game, but one, uh, they got torched by UCLA back in December every other game they've won league non-league whatever so it was a tough place to play and they weren't able to be successful in that environment and it was the it was the most one-sided loss they had in a season full of very close decisions or big purdue victories i'm i frankly i'm surprised at the position they're in i i don't know how you have houston over them there is no justification for it zero houston plays in a league that while traditionally a pretty strong next level league is having its worst season in memory other than Houston. Uh, Memphis is, has played pretty good basketball. Uh, Houston, Houston beat them on Sunday. That's the first, the first real challenge they should have faced in that league. Uh, they, they did, they did lose a game at home to temple. They have been tested on occasion uh, by some teams, but it's, it's not a capable league. And, and they played in non-conference three difficult games. They played St. Mary's, they played Virginia, and they played Alabama at home. They lost one of the three tough non-conference games they played. So why are they on top of the bracket? Well, people think they're good. Why do they think they're good? Because they don't lose and because they have a lot of players who have been to the Final Four and Elite Eight. That's why. Uh, is that a good enough reason? I don't know. I, I, I just, I, Certainly it's not a good enough reason to have them in line ahead of Purdue and Kansas. Give them a number one seed, okay, because there's not really anybody else. But a one seed at a higher level than those two teams that are out there playing in the two best leagues in the country and and winning those leagues and performing at a high level, I I can't find a defense for that. 
Again, we're talking here with Mike DeCourcy of Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, Sporting News. Mike, as we take a look at your work here at Fox Sports and the Bracketology, and uh, we've been talking a lot about the higher seeds so far. If we take a look more close to the bubble, uh, there's two Big Ten teams there in that line for first four out. And I know the answer to get them off the bubble is win the rest of the games. So I, I want to ask for Wisconsin. We'll start there. What has put Wisconsin in this spot positively and negatively to, to kind of work their way through? I think the I honestly, I think what's put them in this spot has been the injury to Tyler Wall. Before Tyler gets hurt, they're an NCAA tournament quality team by a fair margin. And the injury has it, first it first it took removed him from the lineup and they did not perform well without him. And then in his return, he has not been Tyler Wall. He's been the guy wearing Tyler Wall's jersey, and on occasion you might see a flash of what he's capable of, but he's not been the player who was basically a first-team all-conference level performer, one of the six or seven best players in the league uh, at the point where he became injured. So I think that's what's put them in that situation. What's put Purdue, uh, excuse me, Penn State in this situation is simply off-season. They didn't get a big guy, and that's, you know, sometimes you – Sometimes these seasons uh, are, I, I don't want to say lost because I think they've still had a good year, but sometimes these seasons are missed the mark during the off season. Uh, I, you know, as a, as a result of not having a big guy, uh, they are, they are very de uh, perimeter dependent. Uh, they have a hard time defending their basket. And that's why you see them lose games that maybe they could win. Uh, late in games, I don't think they've always been as dependent on Jalen Pickett as they should be. I've mm -hmm. seen I, I've seen uh, games where uh, I, I, I'm trying to remember it was a week ago or so where the ball just didn't find him at the end of games in crunch time, and it was it, they, these were we're talking about must win games for them, and it just didn't get to him when it needed to. And I think subsequent to that, after that happened again, I'd have to look at their schedule to remember exactly which game that was. But as a result of that happening, it, you saw the immediate escalation in his production because it was like, okay, we're not doing this anymore. If we're going out, we're going out with Jalen Pickett having the ball in his hands on every possession. So he goes out and he scores 30-plus, and it's like, no, that's not enough. Let's go score 40-plus. <laughs> uh, so I, I, I think, I think it, the game I'm referring to was the Wisconsin home win back in midweek in February, uh, February 8th. That's the one that – the, it, it went to overtime and the ball never got to pick its hands when it needed to. And as I said, since then, it's been he's we're going to ride him. And I think that's the way to go. Offensively, they're one of the best teams in the country. They're top 20 in offensive efficiency. Defensively, they're 130th. It, it all goes back to not having size to protect the rim and to give your to give your defense stability. If John Hara could have found another year. Uh, they'd, be, they'd be one of the better teams in the league. I, I mean, legit one of the best teams in the league if they had uh, John Hare or somebody like him. That's uh, fascinating stuff. Hey, I do want to talk a little basketball with you here, Mike, but Sam, I want to give you the opportunity. Do you have any more bracketology questions? Yeah, or I, I, I wanted to talk about Northwestern, but I think we can talk about that at basketball portion of it. As That's well, what so. I was exactly going to start with. Okay. So let's go ahead and hit that last break. And we'll be, we'll be right back. All right. I was going to say, and that's the break, Mike. So we're back. Yeah. Um, so this is quick. the fourth quarter. Um, but we, we talk a little basketball here and, and much to what Sam just said, Northwestern's the story right now. I mean, given the, the context heading into the year, a lot of people thought this might be it for Chris Collinson. He was uh, maybe on the way out the door. They lose Pete Nance. They lose Ryan Young to a couple of ACC rivals. And for them to be where they are right now, how do you explain the resurgence for Northwestern? Well, it starts with Chris Collins being a very good basketball coach. He is. Uh, uh, getting the right mix of players there has been a challenge over the seasons. And so they had the right mix in 2017, and they should have had the right mix in 2018. I don't think that that, that, that offseason between 17 and 18 went very well. Uh, they they – I don't think anybody really locked down in the way that they needed to so that they could push it forward. Okay. We got to the top of the mountain. Well, there's another peak. Uh, and so we got to keep climbing. I think a lot of guys in that uh, environment got to the top of the mountain, planted the flag and sat down for a few minutes. And unfortunately mm -hmm. this game doesn't allow that. So 
that that's where they were, but he's still the coach that got him there after a cent. Well, not a century because we've only had the tournament since 39, but after 75 to 80 years of not being able to do that, he gets them there. And so they need, they needed to recalibrate and rebuild. And this is not going to be a team, a program, excuse me, that's likely to make, you know, three and four years, four and four years, Michigan state makes four and four years. Uh, Most of the programs, the better programs in the league are going to make at least three. They're going to be a program that in the, if, if it's ideal, they're going to be competitive year one, highly competitive year two, NCAA tournament, possible year three, NCAA tournament for sure year four. That's how, that's how that program would be optimal because it's not easy because you need to build and because it's not easy at, at Northwestern to bring in a lot of, uh, of transfers. It, it, you can bring some certainly, but you can't bring in a ton. So I think that's part one. And part two is that in doing that, in, in trying to go through that cycle that I talked about, you have a player like Boo Booey who in year one showed talent, but, made a lot of mistakes. And in year two, showed talent, but made a lot of mistakes. And in year three, showed talent, but made a lot of mistakes. And so those escalations that I talked about didn't really happen. There were mo- They were in games, but they didn't win because, in, in large part, because the player who was in charge of the ball would make difficult decisions down the stretch. Hmm. I, ca- I can't explain how that guy who had that track record and you can go back and look at the game film of those first three seasons if you want. I mean, if you're so inclined to challenge my assertion, you can go back and look at the, the game film of some of their close losses, final three minutes, and you can see where I'm, what I'm talking about. That player now is dominant at the end of games. It's, it's staggering. I've never, I mean, I've been, I've been covering college basketball on a regular basis since 1987. Uh, that's been my primary job since 87. And I've been covering it for uh, Big Ten Network since 2010. In, in, in the entire time at Big Ten, for sure, I have never seen a player grow like this and, and do it as rapidly as he has in that final year. That transformation has been magical. He is, he, in, in the end of games, he dominates. He doesn't make bad decisions. He makes great decisions. He, he does things that... that he can get done. He and that are tough to do sometimes. Not an ordinarily player, ordinary player can do it, but he knows that he can do it. It's not like if you watch the end of Xavier uh, last night against Villanova. Uh, Xavier's down a point, has the ball plenty of time, twelve seconds ish, eleven seconds or so to get a shot to win the game, or to, you know, certainly to put themselves ahead by a point with with a, you know with a little bit of time left. And Sule Boom, who had been having a great first half first two-thirds of the season goes down the left side of the lane his not his strong side goes into three defenders and tries basically to throw the ball over his head <laughs> you're not winning games like that and that's not what boo does now i'm I, and I don't think boo ever pulled one quite like that but there were rough decisions over the seasons but now he gets in that situation if he's in that situation he's making the exact right play and the exact right move now it doesn't it's not always going to come off nobody bats a thousand in those circumstances but it's coming off more often than not and that's the biggest reason why they have transformed from uh, a team that was i think they went 6 and 14 a year ago and was probably in at least half of the games they lost but didn't quite get over the hump i i actually did have a question that kind of pulls back to the tournament so i apologize but uh uh teams like like iu and maryland they have a distinct home advantage and they they beat teams convincingly or beat really good teams while they're at home yep but they go on the road and they play and they get beat by teams that they absolutely should not come close to be competitive with is that going to rear its ugly head come March when they get to a tournament game? It should. I think when I think when the reveal came up, Indiana had a four and six record on the road because last night's uh, last night's loss uh, against Michigan State should have been their seventh road loss. Uh, that should have been an impact, uh, maybe even more than it was. Again, we talked about the fact that. Uh, Indiana was the 13th overall seed against the metrics. It was against that record too. 
that's supposed to be a uh, a that's supposed to be a mark against you if you are mm-hmm. home dominant. Uh, it's every team's going to be home oriented. You're going to win more games at home than you do on the road in, in almost every instance, and, and you're going to look better in in almost every instance. But it, in order to get the highest seeds, you ne- ordinarily would need to do some significant things on the road too. Win a big game, have a have a really good record like Northwestern does or Pitt does. Have, have a re- really good numbers on the road. It, those those things are supposed to help you. Yeah. Uh, it didn't punish Indiana on Saturday. It wasn't their their record prior to last night wasn't awful. Four road wins is pretty good, or it's, at least it's decent. Uh, but it probably should have caught. It, they should have probably been in the reveal, or certainly not the first overall four, based on what they've done to that point. I was that was among the more surprising revelations to me. Not that they're anywhere near it. I, I had them as a five. I solid five. Okay. Hmm. And and we're only talking about one line, but it it's indicative, like you you were asking, of, of broader questions. Yeah. When 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 we get this reveal, we look at it like it's the Dead Sea Scrolls and we're trying to read into it and all that. <laughs> but road record should matter because you get to play this thing on neutral floors, but you don't get to play it at home. And that's different than playing on that, that's different. It, it's more like the road than it is like home. And so you have to show you're comfortable in those circumstances. And when Indiana went to Vegas to play Arizona, they didn't look good. When they went to uh, to Kansas to play Kansas, they didn't look good. Uh, so it should have probably kept them from being in this reveal, which is why you know there are certain elements of doing this bracket and trying to get it right for Fox, it, it, I'm a little bit concerned right now for me uh, because it, it, it's hard to it's hard to read what they're what they're up to. It's hard to get a feel for what they want. Well, Mike, we could end up talking with you for hours <laughs> on end. So for your sake, uh, we're, we're going to rapid fire a couple questions at you. If we'll keep them 15, 30 seconds, we'll get some quick hitters so we can still hit a couple more topics with you. But again, we could talk with you for the next couple hours. Um, one being Casey Tominaga. Don't think enough people are talking about Casey. What is going on here? Oh, I, I, he made a move. I, I will I will capsulize Casey in one play. We had a game on the air about three weeks ago on Sunday. Uh, and there he was toward the end of the first half. He was open on the right wing. He moved into a position where he's wide open on the right wing, undefended, wide open. Every college basketball player stays right there because that's what you do. You stay, if you're open, you're not moving to the defense, but Casey, who's a constant in constant motion and constantly thinking through what's the right thing to do, sees Derek Walker on the opposite post with a defender right behind him, somewhat in trouble with the ball. Casey dashes to the middle of the lane, makes sure Derek knows he's there. Derek whips a pass around the defender. Casey's wide open, tosses in a little floater. That's Casey Tominaga in one play. Every other player stays put because it's not, it's not, it's smart basketball. You're wide open. If somebody whips it out to you, you're wide open for a three. But nope, he moves to the open area in the middle of the lane. He sees the opportunity and he makes the basket. High energy, high creativity, high intelligence. And a really, really significant level of shot making. Uh, I'm impressed by him. Go, I'm uh, impressed yeah, no, by him. <laughs> no, he's been so much fun to watch. Um, uh, Purdue's turnover issues. Is this concerning, alarming, or can they overcome this? Honestly, I think it's great in a lot of ways because they were cruising along relatively unchallenged. They hadn't seen a lot of different strategic approaches. I mean, everybody's a little different in the league, but not, not a lot of funky stuff. And so when they got pressed uh, late by Northwestern, in, it, it, that's one that resonates in particular. Um, but when they saw the whole thing against Maryland, when it became a consistent tactic, that's good for them. Because when they get in the tournament, they're going, going to see different things. When they played North Texas two years ago, North yeah. Texas comes in and sandwiches Travion Williams, defender and back, defender in front. It's something I saw Iowa State do with Danny Fortson back in the 97 tournament and very successfully Danny couldn't touch the ball in that game. Trey couldn't touch the ball. And so it doesn't makes other guys shoot from the perimeter or shoot from the foul line. And it turns you into a jump shooting team. If you've got the right defenders, it can work. And Purdue couldn't counter it because they weren't making shots that day. So you need to see different stuff. 
And I think it's been good for Purdue. I don't think now, I think they're less likely to panic in the way, panic's a strong word, but maybe it's fair. Um, it, it, they didn't win the game, so I think it's fair. But they're less likely to take that approach down the stretch now that they've been in that circumstance and seen what happens when you do that. So I think it was good for the freshman guards. I, I, I don't think that they're going to be a turnover machine in, in the postseason. And honestly, I think the one key element here is that they need to they need to either get Fletcher Lawyer back to making shots or they need somebody to do it because they're they're not winning. They're not certainly not winning the national championship without that. And it may be difficult to get through four games as well. So my question actually stays in West Lafayette if in senses because uh, a couple weeks ago we did our freshman of the year pre uh, you know midseason and all the awards and I said from that point, I think it's Braden Smith because he's the general at doing he's got his hands in everything and there and he's doing it at a successful rate. Dalton wasn't there. He was in Columbus at that point, but he's moved to West Lafayette. I was going to say, I'm changing now. now. (laughs) And now he's with Fletcher Lawyer. Which one of those two, or is there some other freshman that gets that that award this year? I've been on Braden Smith for a while, even when Bryce was playing well and they weren't on a 13-game losing streak or whatever the number is now. (laughs) Right. Um, I was was on Braden very early uh, because of his command of the offense, his ability, his audacity, uh, his ability to make shots under pressure. Uh, I, th- I, I think he's been the more consistent player. Uh, I th- Honestly, the best thing that could happen to Purdue at this point is for Fletcher to start to make it a conversation again. Uh, I, I, I think he's got great ability and he's not, ha- you know, he's not playing badly now. He's just not making shots. Yeah. If he starts dropping threes again, then, then we're having a conversation about this for real. We're having a discussion. And it's much better for Purdue in that circumstance. Interesting. I told you, I, I have been saying Braden Smith from the oh, get-go. Because never going to live just, it down now, Mike. Thank you right. so much. Sorry. <laughs> I've been Sorry, saying Braden see, Smith. Dalton, you should have been listening to Beyond and Big Ten Basketball and Beyond on Sunday nights. And if you were, you'd know where I stood. That's right. Yeah. No, fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough. I'll take this one on the chin. Mike DeCourcy, you've been so generous with the time. Yes, we want to you. thank you so much. Again, check out his work on Twitter. He's, of course, also with Fox Sports, Big Ten Network, the Sporting News. Check out his stuff. He's the guy we rely on and trust when it comes to bracketology and all things Big Ten basketball. But, Mike, again, thank you so, so much. We really do appreciate you. Oh, yeah. my pleasure, guys. Uh, good luck with the show. It's been great. All right. Awesome. Thanks, Mike. Thanks. We'll be in touch. All right, again, Mike DeCourcy from the Sporting News, Big Ten Network, and Fox Sports. Uh, breaking things down there. Thought that was interesting. Purdue, maybe don't hit the panic button. Maybe this is a good growing pain Didn't for the Boilermakers. Did we talk about this on Friday, saying that maybe it was a good thing that it happened at this point because yes. it allows them the time to try trial and error in the games that I'm going to put in air quotes, don't matter. They right. matter. Don't get me wrong. They absolutely matter. But this is their trial and error. It's not one and done. It's not March Madness because that's a different beast on its own. And that's what we're walking into. I'd be curious, too. um, I I think I'd still go with Braden Smith or Fletcher Lawyer over this one, but we didn't have time. I wanted to just toss in the grenade of Jalen Hood Shafino now at Indiana and what he's been doing uh, because he might be supplanting Bryce Ensible. That's a good that's a good insert. Uh, I'm not going to say it isn't because. He's very influential in the game and how IU runs their, you know, how things go along with him. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> Trace Jackson Davis drives the bus, but yes, Shafino is there having some say. He's guiding. He's the he's the the guide, the GPS guy. Well, we could have, geez, we hit a lot of topics, and I'm telling you, we could have hit a lot more, but Mike DeCourcy sure. was fabulous as always. And, and gracious so with to his have time. him on there. Very gracious with this time. Okay, uh, let's close down shop. Sam, where can people find us? Hey, on the Twitter, on the TikToks, and on the Instagram, it's at Big, Pl- Big 10 plus four. You have to spell it the plus. Facebook, just Big 10 plus four. Doesn't matter how you do it. We're on oddpodsmedia.com with uh, the entire family of shows there. Uh, we are streamed twice a week on ASAP Network. We also, I wanted to make a quick announcement, is ASAP has come out with an app. Uh, it oh. is in, at the Apple Store or whatever it's called and the Google Play Store. Uh, you can download it and you can catch. Uh, it's under construction now, but it will be up and going to where you can catch all the streamed uh, television shows that we've got on our t- on the TV channel there as well. If you miss the stream, 
and you want to you don't want to download the app go to spotify our video uh, uh podcast uh our video cast of the show is on there so that's it terrific stuff okay that's uh sam sprunger i'm dalton shetler big thank you to all of you for tuning in and-